0: Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's message. So that brings us to Genesis 18, 1 through 15, and... Uh... I've entitled this, With uh, With God All Things Are Possible. And we know that phrase, and it comes in in, in this passage, actually, and then Jesus will mention this in the New Testament. But here's, here's what's going on here to set the scene. The scene is, obviously, Abraham is like 99 years old. Sarah's about 90 or 88, somewhere in that neighborhood. And uh, they're waiting and waiting, and they, and, then, and they've been told they're going to have a promised child. And... It keeps going and going, and nothing's happening. And obviously, Sarah has reached a point in her life where she can't have kids anymore. She's too old to have kids. And so it's an impossibility. And um, what you're going to see, obviously, is that God, who he is, obviously, the creator, can do all things. And he's going to show them that he can do the impossible. And uh, it's it's a picture for us, too, The picture for us is there's things in your life that looks like from a human vantage point, there's no way this is going to happen. We're not going to be able to get this or do this or we're not going to be able to see someone come back to the Lord or whatnot. And it looks like an impossibility. And when that perspective of looking at it that way from a human level hits you, then you will doubt whether or not it's ever going to happen. You'll doubt God. And, And so... We're not saying that just because you're a believer, you can write a blank check and all the things in your life that uh, will become possible. That's not what it is. It's that if God wants it to happen, he can make the impossible possible if he wants it to happen according to his will. And, th- 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 and, and what it implies then is that we have to be in a certain position with him in order for him to work through us to create the possibility of from the impossible. And that's the key. So what you're going to see is God demanding from Abraham and Sarah a certain uh, activity from them in order for this to happen. Now, again, you have the promises and the Abrahamic covenant, but there's something there that God is showing all of us and saying, look, If you want me to work through you, and you wanna see me do my miracles and and create the possibility where there's an impossibility, you have to function this way. And you'll see this with Abraham and Sarah, and those are the, there's two things, two keys I want you to see for God to work through you and for you to see actual impossibilities happen. And that's the takeaway we're gonna get from this, okay? So let's start in Genesis 18, and this is a very famous passage most people know. Then Yahweh appeared to him, Abraham obviously, by the terebinth trees of Mamre, and he, as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So let's unpack this just a little bit to understand what the Hebrew mindset is, 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 is messaging to us. Obviously, this is Yahweh. He's going to be accompanied with two angels. So, anytime you see Yahweh appear in the Old Testament, it is the second person of the Trinity. It's a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Okay, so this is Jesus, actually. So that's what whether it's the angel of the Lord or a theophany, it will always be Jesus who appears, and he'll appear in human form. So he's accompanied by two angels. Okay, so obviously Jesus is God. That's why he's called Yahweh. So here's the thing, Abraham doesn't know this is Yahweh, okay? That's what you got to keep in mind. He doesn't know. You know as a reader that it's Yahweh, but he in the scene doesn't know until the very end. Now notice where he says, that Yahweh appeared to him. And it's the concept that you have to understand that God actually came down from heaven to Abraham to tell him this particular thing, okay? And it's the same thing with us. God will meet you uh, where you're at. He'll come to where you're at and give you the instructions for for what he's going to do. And notice where he's at, the terebinth trees of Mamre. That's Abraham's home, basically. So God is condescending to go to Abraham's home. It's not like God is calling Abraham up to something or to another place. He comes right where he's at. That's where God wants to meet you, right where you're at. But notice it's in in the heat of the day. Okay, So this is how God will condescend, not only to meet you, but he meets you in the heat of the day. What does that mean? Well, obviously, this is Israel, and it's probably during the summertime, and it's very hot. Israel can get up to 105 or something like that, maybe, in the area that they're in. And uh, what they would do is, in the middle of the day, probably from noon to three, They didn't do any activities because it was so hot. And so what they did is take what we call a siesta, so to speak, and they would take a break. And actually, they would eat their biggest meal of the day at lunchtime. Breakfast and dinner were smaller meals, and lunch was the biggest meal. And then you would rest for about two or three hours until the heat cooled down, and then you would actually go back to work in the cool of the day. And, and so this is where he catches him, but it's in the heat of the day. Now, that's symbolic of affliction, fire and heat. And the affliction that's on Abraham and Sarah is they can't have a child. That's the affliction they have. Okay, So I want you to see this. So God is coming down out of heaven, going to Abraham's home, and going and meeting him there in the midst of Affliction. Okay? It shows you God's heart to meet you at your point of affliction. He knows where you're at. He knows what you're doing. He knows the affliction that you have on you. This is how intimate God is with each one of us. It's pretty amazing that the God of the universe would condescend to meet us where we're at, at a time of affliction. Okay? So that's what it's trying to convey. So he lifted his eyes and looked. This is Abraham. And behold three men were standing by him now a couple things he lifted his eyes and looked that's a hebraism for for a, a, a euphemism for faith now in the text he's not illustrating faith in the in the sense that he knows this is Yahweh but when you see I lift up my eyes I looked it's a connotation of faith okay And that's one of the the, the requirements that God demands if he's going to turn the impossible to the possible. You must have faith. And this will be a theme of the entire story. And notice that the three men are standing by him. Okay, standing in the Hebrew background means that these people are ready to do something. They're ready for action. So uh, like when the stoning of Stephen happened, um uh he saw a vision of jesus and jesus was not sitting on the throne jesus is standing okay and that's the same thing in 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 the book of revelation you'll see jesus standing and what does that mean he's standing because he's going to do something right now um and that's what, what we understand so obviously yahweh is going to do something right now he's going to create a miracle that's why you see yahweh standing Okay? And furthermore, there's a second part to this story. He's not only standing because he's gonna do something for Abraham and Sarah, but he's standing because the next scene is he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. So that's the idea of standing. It usually connotates judgment, but it does in one sense, and it's a blessing in, in Abraham and Sarah's sense. Um, look at, lifting up your eyes, at least to show you that it's a Hebraism. Um, Then Moses said, uh, the Lord said to Moses, this is when everyone was getting bit by the snakes out with the, the children of Israel. He said, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it shall live. Okay. The idea of looking at it in faith, that's how you get rescued from the snakes. Now, the same terminology Jesus used. Remember that with Nicodemus and that conversation He told Nicodemus, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have uh, eternal life. The idea is you look up to Jesus, you cast your eyes on him, and as you look to him, it connotates the Hebraism of faith. So that's what's happening here, okay? Just to give you the, the Hebraic background on all of this and then he goes on and says and when he saw them he ran now you'll notice the expediency and the quickness in which abraham does this again he doesn't know who these people are but it's showing you something about abraham so he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to, to the to the ground and said my lord now he doesn't know who these people are they could be penniless travelers but even Abraham then will show them the proper honor and respect even though he doesn't know who they are, okay? They, they could be poor, poor as church mice, okay? He does, it doesn't matter to Abraham because he will show them the proper hospitality and respect. And notice that he's fast about it. He ran, meets, meets them, and then he bows down, Adonai, it's plural, my lords, because he doesn't know who they are. So he's calling them sirs giving them respect if I have now found favor in your sight do not pass on by your servant now he's what Abraham you're going to see is the rules of hospitality in that ancient world and the idea is he's inviting them to provide for their needs again he doesn't know who they are and in the ancient world if you had visitors whoever they were you were obligated to provide hospitality and what did that mean? It meant that you had to provide them food and water, or uh, or, or the and it's the best you have. You have to provide the best you have uh, in offering a meal to them. Okay, and so he goes. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet, which is common uh, common custom to wash their feet, the dust off their feet. Rest yourselves under the tree, and I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that you may pass by in as much as you have come to your servant so notice the mentality I am your servant I'm here to serve you and I will do what I need to do to help you along your way in the journey then they consent this is the rule of hospitality the host offers the hospitality and then the travelers have to agree of whether or not they're going to consent for him to give them the hospitality And so the three travelers say, do as you have said. So they accept his offer of hospitality. Now, you're thinking, what is this all about? Well, it's a a way of understanding Abraham's heart, okay? So what the scripture is trying to show you is that one of the requirements that God wants from those in a covenant with him is this type of heart. That he will serve people he doesn't know and give them the fullest service. He will call them lords in respect. He will bow down to them in respect. And he's doing this to strangers. Why is that a big deal? Well, we'll see in just a bit. So Abraham hurried. Notice that he first ran. Now he's hurrying into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly, Notice the rapidity it's it's everything's run hurry up quick let's do this make the uh, make ready three measures of fine meal Knead it, and make cakes now you're thinking what is the idea of three measures of fine meal this is not three loaves of bread this would be equivalent to to having a feast with 20 25 people and he's making all this bread for three people Okay. then Abraham said and Abraham ran. Notice the ran, the quickness about this to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young, gave it to a young man and he hastened to prepare it. Now, Abraham goes and selects the best. They didn't eat meat all the time. Uh, Meat eating meat was a special occasion. And so he goes and gets his best, a good calf. To slaughter and then provide this feast. So he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared, set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree as they ate. So he provides this massive feast. He does it, and notice that it's Abraham doing it. He's not sitting back saying, servant, go do this, servant, go do that. Look, Abraham had 317 or eighteen people at his disposal that he could have commanded to go do this. But Abraham does it. Abraham himself does it. And then at the end of it, look what he does. He stands back. Not only is he a server, but he's also their their host, and he doesn't eat with them. Okay? And that's a sign that he's at the ready to do whatever they need, to go fetch something, whatever. So he is um, kind of acting like a butler, so to speak, that he's ready at the whim of anything they need, he'll get there. But he doesn't eat with them. This is typical of Middle Eastern hospitality. You'll serve a meal, and typically the host stands back and watches you eat. They don't participate. Now, it's changed a little bit in Muslim worlds, but this is how they did it. Again, what is the deal here? Why is Abraham going all out for people he doesn't know? It's this. This is a test. God is testing him okay? So God is veiled. He doesn't know it's God, but he's showing all of us, this is the requirement that I need. The test is Abraham has just been circumcised, okay? In the following the, the following chapters, he was circumcised as a sign of the Abrahamic covenant. But like we talked about, circumcision pointed to circumcision of the heart, okay? That his old nature needed to be dealt with and the new heart that God gave him, must be exemplified. Therefore, what God is testing Abraham and showing through Abraham is that this guy has a circumcised heart. That's why I'm prepared to work through him to do a miracle. Uh, Yes, I'm in covenant with him, but look at how he acts to strangers. That's a big deal. That's a principle for all of us. Now, if you knew that was Jesus, you would do what Abraham run and and, and and get everything as fast as you can. But what if it was a stranger and you didn't know it was Jesus? Would you do the same thing? Would you serve them the feast? Would you run and prepare everything by yourself? Would you do that? A person with a circumcised heart will. They don't care whether or not it's Jesus or just another person a circumcised heart serves everybody at all levels. It doesn't matter. And They don't get other people to do it. They get in the trenches and actually do it to show that they have a circumcised heart. Look what Hebrews 13.2 says to all of us. Do not forget to entertain strangers. This is the hospitality that Abraham showed. For by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. So you just don't know who the stranger is. And that's why the hospitality of you serving people at the highest level, whether you know them or not, is required with a circumcised heart. Because in effect, what the writer's Hebrew is, sometimes you may not know if that stranger is an angel. It may be. And you have entertained an angel. You don't know. So that's why you're always to be on high alert in service to others look at this this is unknown author but you know this your reputation is what you do when everyone is looking while your character is what you do when no one sees how are you behind closed doors what is your character like now here i'll give you an example let's go into the real world when you've worked out in the world have you noticed there's a bunch of lazy people right and you're out there working hard and you look around it's like this guy's not doing anything she's not doing anything they're lazy they're bums but when the boss shows up oh i'm i'm doing something i'm doing something and then the boss leaves and they go back to their laziness because no one's watching them so if you have an employee that you have to micromanage, that becomes a headache for you. You should have employees that you can trust because they have enough character in them to do the job 100%, right? Now, some of you own businesses and had to fire employees because they're so lazy. In 23 years of ministry, I fired a lot of people because of their laziness. And you would think, oh, people would never work for a church and be lazy. Yes, they would. That's why I fired them. It's true. And I want to think in my back of my mind when I'm firing them, because they're lazy and because they're not doing anything during the week, I have to trust them with their 40 hours. When I find out they're being lazy, my thought goes to my head. You're a Christian. You're in ministry. Don't you know that the Lord sees everything you're doing? Or you think he's blind to what you're doing? And it's like a disconnect in people's heads. Like. You don't, I've, I've told my staff, I've told employees, you don't work for me, you work for the Lord. He's the one who sees you. Whatever your hand finds to do, do, you do it with all your might, just like Abraham's doing. So this is a big deal. So one of the qualifications then, if you want God to work through you and create the possibility out of impossibles You must have this circumcised heart in your service to others and that no matter who the person is, you will give it 100%. You will give it 100% at your job because Jesus is watching you. It's not the boss watching you, Jesus is. That's the idea behind Abraham and why he goes through these great lengths. And God is trying to show you and I, this is what I want, what Abraham's doing to me. Now, let's talk about the covenantal meal. In the covenantal meal, it, um, so there would be a sacrifice, and already in the Abrahamic covenant, we have a sacrifice, and we talked about that in Genesis 15. So the, f- the sacrifice of the animals has already happened. So what would happen in a, uh, if you did a covenant with somebody, you would sacrifice the animals, and then you would have a meal together. And that meal signified that you're in peace and harmony or basically shalom with the other party by having this meal. Meals were a big thing in the Middle East because it, it gave the connotation of friendship. It gave the connotation of harmony between the two parties in the covenant. Okay, Notice, when Jesus creates the new covenant in his blood at the Lord's Supper, he does it through a meal. He takes the Passover and turns it into the Lord's Supper because that supper is signifying the new covenant has, will be made tomorrow. And anyone in that new covenant will be able to participate in God working through them. That's the, kind, the idea. And that's what the meal that Abraham's having with the Lord, even though he doesn't know it, is signifying that God is in partnership with Abraham and has an intimate relationship with him. Now, one of the things about the covenant meal, if you move on, the covenant requirements, okay? So the Abrahamic covenant is a unilateral covenant, okay? That means God's going to do it regardless uh, of Israel's behavior or whatnot. But also, God will do what he, he needs to do and what he's promised, But there's an extra measure of blessing in the covenant if you obey, okay? There's an extra measure of blessing. Now, God's going to do it no matter what, but if you want the blessing, if you want God working through you, then the covenant requires that you are not breaking fellowship with the one you're in covenant with. And the only way you would break fellowship and not the covenant, but break fellowship is sin against the other person. Okay? So, what what it's showing you is that God is willing to eat a meal with Abraham because Abraham does not have any sin that prevents him from fellowshipping with the Lord. Sin will break your fellowship, it doesn't break the covenant, it doesn't break your eternal security, it breaks your fellowship. And that's a requirement to be able to dine with the Lord. And dining with the Lord means fellowship. Let me show you an example. When you look at the book of Revelation about the Laodicean church, what is the common characteristic of Laodicea? First of all, they're unusable. They're lukewarm. He can't use them. And then he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. And what? Dine with him and he with me. Going all the way back to Abraham. This is the new covenant. And he says, look, I want to dine with you. I want to have fellowship with you. But what's the problem with Laodicea? They are in sin. Flat out sin. They're blind. They're naked. They're spiritually messed up. And so Jesus is saying, I might be in covenant with you, but I can't have fellowship with you. I I want to have fellowship with you, but you keep sinning and breaking the fellowship, and and so I can't dine with you. I can't fellowship with you is what he's trying to say to the Laodicean church. That's what's happening right now. The split is happening in Christendom. The split between the Philadelphia remnant element, which we're a part of, and a lot of churches are, and then the majority of the churches are in Laodicea. They're checked out. And because of that, they think they have fellowship, but they don't because they participate in sin. They practice sin. Their churches promote sin, like the LGBT movement or the transgender movement or the wokeism or, you know, critical race theory or whatever. That's sin. So you you can't tell me as a Christian that if you uh, approve of that and promote it, that you're in fellowship with the Lord. You're a liar. You walk in darkness. You can't tell me that. because scripture says you can't. And this is what it's saying. Notice the ultimate fellowship is a, the ultimate meal with the Lord. It's called the marriage feast of the lamb. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come. We're looking forward to that day one day on earth. After the second coming, we will gather with all the saints of the past, the tribulation saints and the church saints And the saints that made it out of the tribulation alive, and we will have one great feast. And it's a feast called the marriage supper of the lamb, connotating fellowship, okay? But notice, and to her, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Oh, wait a second. Now we have a caveat And the caveat is this, that ultimate fellowship to be able to sit down and dine with Jesus in the messianic age is only given to those who have enough rewards for the righteous acts they did. So it's a rewards-based fellowship, okay, in the ultimate sense. You get into the kingdom by faith, okay? Your entrance into the kingdom is faith through the Lord okay but not everybody gets to dine with Jesus in the messianic age it is only those who have fine linen because of their righteous acts as a believer signifying that they were in fellowship with the Lord uh, predominantly through their Christian life and now they have the rewards and that reward is to be able to eat with Jesus physically Not every believer will eat with Jesus physically. They'll be in the kingdom, but they won't eat with him. Okay, so back to Abraham. God will make good on the covenant, but in order to work through the individual in the covenant, the person has to have a circumcised heart of service. That's the only way he's going to work through them. Okay, let's move on. So the principle is fellowship with the Lord is required to see the Lord work through you and for rewards. Okay, I mentioned that. And they said to him, notice the they in the text. It's plural. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? So the Lord came down for a specific reason. It's to address Sarah. She's having a problem, by the way. So he came down to address her. So he said here in the tent, and he said, now notice the dip. Now it switches from plural to singular. Did you see that? You're getting a hint of something. I will certainly return to you according to that, uh, to the time of life, i.e. one year and behold, Sarah, your wife shall have a son. So one of the things you have to see here is you're, you're seeing a hint of the Trinity. They, and then him, singular, plural. And notice, here, O Israel, the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Shema, hear, O Israel. The Lord, Yahweh, our God, Elohim, plural, is echad. Well, what does echad mean? One. One Yahweh. But echad in Hebrew means composite unity. A composite unity. Not a singularity unity, but a composite unity. And notice how the word is used with Adam and Eve. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become echad. A composite unity. So right now, even in this passage, you're seeing the hints of the Trinity. They, of course, to the three, and he being one God, going back and forth pretty amazing now Sarah was listening in the tent door which was behind him now Abraham and Sarah were old well advanced in years so Abraham 99 she's about 88 to 90 years old okay somewhere in that neighborhood well advanced in age and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing obviously okay that's what it's trying to say she can't it's impossible for her to have a child therefore Sarah laughed within herself he didn't laugh out loud she laughs in herself in her heart she laughs when she heard yahweh say sarah will bear a child in the next year she's laughing inside saying after i have grown old shall i have pleasure my lord being old also have pleasure in conceiving again pleasure in having a a a a baby and all of all of that means to her so she's laughing and this is not a laugh of joy it's not a laugh of joy it's a laughing because of a lack of faith in her so we see the example of Abraham now we're moving to Sarah and we're seeing what you shouldn't do okay And by the way, she's already been told this in Genesis 17. And God said, no, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac or Yitzhak. Laughter. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and his descendants after him. We already studied that. So she already knows God has told her and Abraham, you will bear a son, and his name is going to be Laughter. Isn't it ironic she laughs But the laughter is coming from a lack of faith. So every time she heard her son's name, she is reminded of her lack of faith in Yahweh's power. Remember that. Now, laughter for Abraham is different because when Abraham heard the Lord say this, he was on his face and he laughed, but it was a laugh of joy which is different than Sarah. Sarah's a laugh of unbelief. Abraham's a laugh of joy. So when Abraham sees Isaac, he'll always remember laughing in joy. When Sarah sees Yitzhak, and he calls his name every time she was remembering this lack of faith in Yahweh. That's how it works. Okay. Principle, the Lord will typically bring us to the end of ourselves so that we admit our weaknesses and insufficiencies and then turn to him. And one of the other problems is Sarah doesn't recognize that she's seeing things from a human perspective. Am I to have a child at this old of age? She's seeing things not from God's perspective, but a human perspective. And that's what gets us in trouble. We start looking at life from a human perspective. And when you do that, you take God out of the equation in how he can work through you to create the impossible. So... What happens and the Lord said to Abraham notice who he's talking to did the Lord say Sarah he's talked to Abraham about this why why not talk to Sarah directly instead go to her husband because these are the lines of authority and God created the authority and he works within his own system so instead of addressing Sarah directly, he goes to her authority and says, why did Sarah laugh? He's speaking directly to Abraham. And Abraham doesn't even know. What, what do you mean she laughed? He doesn't know because she was in the tent. She's in the tent. She doesn't, he, doesn't, he, he didn't know she did because she laughed within herself. He didn't even hear it. This is a big deal, guys. Uh, on Father's Day, maybe, let me make an application. You are responsible for your wife. If you will not be responsible for her, it doesn't matter. You're going to answer for her. You're going to answer for your kids. Because you are the spiritual head of your family. You are responsible for their behavior. You are responsible. And that, what you see here is God going directly to the authority, the man. Why did your wife laugh? So something's happening in the relationship between Abraham and Sarah. Abraham is a man of faith, but somehow that's not being communicated or passed on to his wife. Something's happening in the relationship to where she doubts God, but he fully trusts God. What's that about? It's because he's not doing his job as a spiritual leader. So guess who gets nailed? Abraham, he goes to Abraham, why is your wife laughing at me? Because he's at fault. He wasn't leading Sarah down the road to faith. And that's a big deal for us as men on Father's Day. We are responsible for our wives and our family, spiritually speaking, and everything else. Make sure you are communicating your faith to them. And passing that torch on. Well, anyway, he goes on. Is anything too hard, or uh, pala in Hebrew, which means wonderful, extraordinary, miraculous, marvelous for the Lord? Interesting, this word pala will be used in Isaiah chapter 9, talking about Jesus as being the wonderful or pala counselor. What does that mean? Well, not only does he counsel, but he can do the impossible in counseling. And all the nations will come to Jesus and he settles disputes in the messianic age. Because God can do wonders. He can do the impossible because of who he is. He can defy the laws of physics because he's the one who made them. He can walk on water. He can heal the blind. He can raise people from the dead. That's not a problem. If you're the creator of the universe, what is the big deal of raising someone from the dead? He has all power. There's nothing God can't do because he's all powerful. And that's what he's pressing Abraham about. Your wife doesn't believe I can do the impossible. Your wife doubts my ability. Your wife doubts my power. And Abraham, we need to fix this before we even move on. Before I even give you the promise of Yitzhak, I need your wife straightened out on this. Oh you'll be on the couch tonight (laughs) Jesus picks up the same thing he says uh, 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 when his disciples heard it talking about uh, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven he says when his disciples heard it they were greatly astonished why were they greatly astonished because in that world they thought rich people were automatically saved They thought it was the blessing of God and that they were saved because they were rich. Totally wrong, obviously. So he corrects that. They say, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, with men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. That's that's the same idea that you're seeing in Genesis. And it's picked up by the Messiah. And understand this. Jesus has already said this statement to Abraham. Now he's telling the disciples. It's the same thing. Then he goes, at the appointed time, I will return to you. According to that time, and Sarah shall have a son. Now he repeats himself, and that's twice. So when the Lord repeats himself, that means he's pretty uh, sure. know yeah, not sure, but he's trying to make an emphatic statement that this is sure to happen. Okay, I'm repeating myself twice. In fact, he's repeating himself three times. And when the Lord repeats himself three times, it's a done deal. It will happen. But anyway, because the Lord uh, mentioned this three times, it's this principle. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. So if he has made promises, he's going to keep them. He's going to keep them. Even if we are faithless, he will make sure they get done. So Here's where we got some interaction But Sarah denied it What's the problem there? Well number one you laughed at the Word of God You don't believe the Word of God and then to compound your problem you sinned twice and The second time is you lied directly to Yahweh You see the problem sin continues to complicate your life, because it leads to more sin. You laugh internally because you don't believe God's word, and then you lie about it. Oh, I didn't laugh, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. I would be afraid too. If I start realizing that the person in the middle of this group said I laugh and I only laughed in my heart means that this person can read my heart. He must be God. He must be Yahweh. He must be Jesus. And she's freaked out. I would be too. Wait, I thought this was a stranger, but he's hearing my heart, the intentions of my heart. He's reading my heart. He must be Yahweh. And she was afraid. I would be too. I would be very afraid of directly laughing at God and denying and and just lying about it and look what god does and he said no but you did laugh i wouldn't want to be her I, you don't want to be positioned where the lord actually corrects you directly like that you did laugh Now, that is the most impactful statement that Yahweh could make to her. You did laugh. What is this about? Well, Yahweh is correcting her. Yahweh is saying, no, I will not let your sin pass by. I will not bury this. I will not push it aside I will not ignore this because if we're gonna work together in this Covenant that we've already established and you're gonna have a miraculous birth I need you on the same plane with me in fellowship because you're right now out of fellowship with me I need you to get you back into fellowship and the first way I'm gonna get you back in fellowship is confront your sin you can't hide it from me I see what you're doing and I need you to stop mocking and doubting my word. If I tell you I'm going to do something, you better believe it. If we're going to work together in this. So it's a correction to her and the correction works, by the way. It does work. But understand this, on a practical level, God is saying, I'm not going to ignore what I'm not going to ignore what you're doing. We're going to deal with this, okay? So so many Christian people, when they see sin in their family and they they know it's not right, well, I don't want to confront them, so let's brush this under the rug. Let's just not talk about it. Let's have peace and harmony. And someone in your family is in blatant, open sin, blatant, and you're going to ignore it? He doesn't ignore it. God doesn't ignore it. Why are you ignoring it? Because sin continues to grow if it's not confronted. And Yahweh's going to confront it. The principle, God will not allow us to justify, protect, or excuse our sin and unbelief. Unbelief in sin cuts us off from God's help because it is, in effect, laughing at God's word. When we doubt, it is laughing at God's word. That's, in effect, that's pretty scary. I don't want to be in that situation. Now, here's the thing. Let me give you some practical tips on what's going on in our world the whole world seems to be laughing at god's word would you agree they doubt what he says he says there's two agend- two genders they doubt that they laugh at his word god says sex is between a male and a female in the bonds of marriage they laugh at his word so here's the example of where our culture's at this is the uh dodgers doc uh uh coach And the Dodgers this week had their big pride celebration and brought in the Sisters of Indulgence who are mocking Christ on the cross with drag queens and pole dancers and all kinds of vile uh, sin. And These guys, they, they support it. In effect, they're laughing at God. It says in the report, Roberts did not address the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence ahead of Friday's game. Of course he didn't, because they're mocking Jesus. But wish those celebrating a happy Pride Month. As the manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers, a baseball team, I welcome, we welcome anyone that comes through these gates to support our ball club. Hey, Dave, that's not the topic. That's not the issue. Address the issue. The Sisters of Indulgence were mocking Jesus on a cross with drag queens. Address that. No one is saying they can't go in. And then he continues on. We're, um, we're not always going to agree on everyone's decision in life. That's true. So my decision is not to mock Christ. My decision, my opinion, based on the word of God, is the LGBT agenda is wrong. Gay sex is wrong. Transgenderism is wrong. Grooming kids is wrong. Dave Roberts, will you tolerate that opinion? See, the funny thing is it's a one-way street. They only tolerate the LGBT opinion, but they won't tolerate the Christian's opinion. They're mocking and laughing at God. And then he goes on. And that's the way the world works. My parents raised me to love and respect everybody. Hey, Dave, that's not even the topic of discussion. This is not about love and respect. It's about mocking Christianity with transvestites. That's what it's about. My parents raised me to love and respect everyone. Really? Well, you don't understand love then. And you don't understand respect. I don't respect sin. I don't respect the practice of sin. And oh, by the way, Dave Roberts, I'm not asking him to be a theologian. I just want to show you his ignorance and how how he has assumed the cultural mindset. When you talk about love, Dave, let's put this in perspective. Love is based on truth. You can only love that which is true. That's the parameters God gives. And if it's not true, you're off limits to love it. Like you can't love sin, okay? You can't love things out of the parameters of what God says is the truth. So Dave, whatever you were taught, you were taught this nebulous worldly love, and you don't get it. I don't think we should uh, still be able to, I, I think, I do think that we should still be uh, able to coexist, Coexist is a term from wokeism. Okay. Uh, unpack that for me. Coexist. I Gavin Newsom is telling me that if I'm a parent and I don't approve of my 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 child turning into from a girl to a boy and vice versa. And I don't approve of the sex change, I can't coexist with you. I can't coexist with people who are out of reality, Dave. And that's what the Bible says. The only way you can have unity in a culture is if we all agree on the same values. And if you don't have a culture that doesn't agree on the same values and says uh, uh, oh, uh, black is white and white is black, wrong is right and, and right is wrong, I can't coexist. Not that I'm gonna disrespect you, not that I'm not gonna uh, uh, love you in an agape way, but if you think we're gonna sit there and sing Kumbaya together, Dave Roberts, you're out of your mind. I can't coexist with pedophilers. He doesn't get it. So here's the Sisters of Indulgence at Dodger Stadium this week. These are the ones who mocked Christ. This is a clown show. This this is straight out of Sodom and Gomorrah. But what bothers me most is not men pretending these are transvestites, not men painting up in, in costumes. It's this. That's what ticks me off. They mocked Christ on a cross with a stinking pole dancer. That's what the Dodgers won't address. That's what all of them won't address in Major League Baseball. And this is just one example. Look at the mocking of Jesus. It's targeted to him. It's targeted to you. Let that sink in. They are laughing at God's word, like Sarah did. You're laughing at God's word. Because God says, you, that is an abomination. That is blasphemy. Blasphemy. And it's right, people had signs protesting that Dodgers sold their soul. Yeah, they did, they sold them souls right to the devil. Along with Target, along with Kohl's, along with Adidas, along with Nike, and along with all these crazy companies are selling their soul to the devil right in front of your very eyes. And at the same time, laughing at God's word. And this poor guy, now we're arresting Christians. He spoke on a public sidewalk And he was quoting Bible verses to an LGBT rally. And guess who gets arrested for his free speech? He did. This crazy cop or these crazy cops arrested him. Now, I'm pro-law enforcement. When I see cops, though, arresting a guy for free speech, that's the brown shirts. What was that cop thinking? He can say anything on a public sidewalk. I mean and, and he was only quoting Bible verses, and he gets arrested for quoting Bible verses. What country am I in? Did he just forget the free uh, the First Amendment? Unbelievable. Now, this is an interesting story. Yeah. Belgian man faked his own death, then showed up at his funeral in helicopter to teach his family a life lesson. This is one of the most insane stories I've ever seen, okay? But what is this a product of? It's a product of narcissism, okay? It's a product of narcissism, which is part of our culture, and narcissism is forbidden in the Bible, okay? So here's why he did it. I never get invited to anything. No one sees me. We all grew apart. I feel unappreciated, and that's why I wanted to give him a life lesson. Oh, so you're a narcissist. So you faked your own death, and then everyone was at your funeral, and you show up in a helicopter to prove your narcissistic tendencies. Well, you don't love me. You don't appreciate me. And then he noticed only half of his family came to the funeral (laughs) I wonder why, because you're a narcissist. But what is the essence of a narcissist? Because that's what they're training everyone to be. The essence of a narcissist is that it it laughs at God's word because a narcissist won't sacrifice. A narcissist won't uh, be others oriented. They're always self-oriented, which is against the Bible. So he mocks God's word. This guy's crazy, man. New Jersey Department of Education reports 4,200% increase in students claiming to be non binary in four years. I wonder why. A 4,200% increase? I wonder why. You can't coexist with people grooming your children. Obama, appointed judge, rules Utah City must allow all ages drag show in public park. I can't coexist with that. I'm sorry. You're grooming children. This is on the level of pedophilia. Episcopal Church platforms children to endorse homosexuality and abortion. Crazy, huh? I can't show you I'm out of time. But let me end on this. When Yahweh rebuked her and said, you did laugh, look at the result, what happened. Her sin was confronted and it changed her. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. You see what happened? It changed. Therefore, from one man and him as, a, as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky and the multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. So what did it do? Her Yahweh confronting her sin actually created faith in her to believe that he could do it. And then she was able to be blessed with a child. You see what happens? So in the the fellowship, you have to have the servant's heart and then you have to have the faith necessary for God to work through you. And if you have those two elements, then nothing that God wants to accomplish will be impossible, nothing. But you have to have those two elements. We'll end there. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for what we can learn through Sarah and Abraham. And Father, I just pray that we always serve you 100%, whether someone sees us or not, to have a heart of service. But Father, also, never help us not to doubt your word, not to laugh inside of ourselves and think that's an impossibility. It can never happen, because all things are possible through you. You have the power. You have the purpose. You have the plan, and we trust in that. I pray at this invitation that if, you haven't, if people haven't come to faith in Messiah, they would do so today. Understanding he died on a cross for their sins, was buried and raised on the third day to offer everlasting life. We pray now in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.